Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami and joining me on the poop deck today is none other than my one and only first mate, Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the ship of hopes and dreams. <laughs> Yar, matey, glad to be aboard this here ship. God, that was terrible. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, neither of us are sailors, so you know what? Give us a pass, listeners. I have sailor's blood in my veins. I come from a long line of sea beast hunters, also known as mariners. I also nearly got my head taken off by a sailboat once when the mast swung from left to right, so... Oh, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, so you might say I'm something of a sea hunter myself, but yeah, how are you doing tonight, Andrew? Good. It's still pretty uh, chilly in Canada right now, but yeah, we're we're hopefully coming towards the end of the winter and, and moving into, into spring. Yep, I can only echo that sentiment because right now in good old Scotland it is absolutely freezing, which ironically enough, as I'm talking to you just now, I'm looking at my Starbucks mug that I got from Canada. Well, I say got from Canada. I was passing through in the airport, so it's a technicality. I'll need to you know come over and get the full Toronto experience mug. But yeah, I'm sipping on a coffee and I'm staving off the cold as indeed we're going to be discussing yeah a very interesting film maybe not as chilly or as cold as something like klaus but we are indeed going to be talking about a is it safe to say a film that slipped under the radar in 2022 i don't know necessarily that it slipped under the radar because whenever i was on netflix it would appear as like a preview for for me just like all the time i had to keep like skipping past it and anytime like i finish a movie it'd be like the thing it netflix kept recommending so it didn't necessarily slip under the radar for me it's been one i've been putting off for several months i'd say and just finally getting around to it because of oscar season coming up i have to say i remember hearing about this film when you know they were promoting it and they were saying oh it's going to be the well not the greatest animated film of all time but like oh it's going to be a great animated film it's going to compete with pixar dreamworks illumination with of course netflix taking up their animation studio and I mean Netflix have done a good job don't get me wrong they have done a great job in animation we talked about Klaus which of course came out in 2019 and in Christmas last year we talked about that film in depth which that was a great film so it's quite interesting to see Netflix take you know, a step up and maybe their live action stuff isn't hitting all the right notes, but it's good to see that their animation stuff for the most part seems to be picking up the slack. Yeah, they've, I mean, I've just had a quick look at their sort of filmography that they've produced so far. Klaus was actually their first movie that they released. Technically, I think it was done prior to Netflix's involvement and then they kind of just got like the final kind of rights to it. So I don't know how much it technically counts for that. But yeah, there was quite a few other films I've not heard of. It was America, the motion picture. Did you ever watch that? America, the motion picture. Yeah, it's essentially like a fictional telling of the founding of America as an independent country. And so it makes George Washington and various other characters seem like brat bros kind of thing. It's really bizarre. It's very much like an adult animated film. Do not recommend it. It's terrible. But I'm a sucker for slop like that. So I, I, did, I did watch it. I was going to say that does sound very quintessentially American. <laughs> It seems as if they put their eggs into one basket, though, when they actually do release these kind of films, because this is something you and I were talking about before we actually came on to record tonight, but it's the fact that Netflix don't just, and again, they are infamous for just cold releasing a lot of shows, Cough Cough, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Part 6, Cough Cough, but there have been a few that they've decided to release in cinemas Mm -hmm. before they actually release it on their service, and this is one of the ones that they actually did that on, wasn't it? They did that for Sea Beast, and I think they also did it for the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio, if I'm correct. So both of which have been nominated for Best Animated Picture at the Oscars. So it's interesting that Netflix holds the rights to contenders for Best Animated Picture, uh, which is a very bizarre situation. You see the other juggernauts of animation are not as well represented this year. Yeah, they're definitely creeping up, aren't they? Just in 2022, they released five animated movies. So like they're being quite prolific with their releases now. So they're, they're really pumping out but I know they also fired a bunch of people from their animation side of things so I don't know if that's going to continue yeah 
I mean, ironically enough, it is like a sinking ship and they are just bailing out the water to be like, quick, plug in the ECB stair or plug in, God, I can't even remember. There's like so many shows that they have brought out and then they've cancelled it and then people aren't happy. Yeah, they did that with Inside Job where they've just kind of canned that and there was a lot of backlash around that and I think there's been several other animated pictures that they've not followed through with anymore. It does seem a shame though especially for animation because they am- don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that live action you know, has any less or more work put into it compared to animation but a lot of effort and care and everything like it is quite a different medium compared to live action because in live action you are restricted by the laws of physics and everything you have to be a little bit more realistic even with all the cgi floating about by the time that gets introduced you know there's a whole like hybrid between no oh, it's technically cartoonish but when it comes to animation and especially with this film in particular you have a medium where you can do a lot of very expressive things you can create a whole world without necessarily being restricted other than the animator's fingers when they're trying to code and you know, bring and render everything But before we go into this and deep dive into this film, I actually posted a question on Twitter today about this film. I was quite curious to hear what other people had to say. And you know, usually when we've done this before, like especially with our Spider-Man Month series, we had people who said, oh, I like this film or I like this series because of X, I didn't like it because of Y. It was very diverse in the opinions that people were putting forward. But I'm saying this to you before, a lot of people have one particular point that they keep bringing up about this film. I think I can guess what it might be. Is it with regards to similarity to How to Train Your Dragon? Just a tad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There certainly is comparisons to be made between this and How to Train Your Dragon, and it's something we will definitely touch on in more detail later in this episode. Of course, you being the resident expert of the How to Train Your Dragon series, you're definitely qualified to talk about the similarities of this, but yeah, it was really surprising, and I'm not going to lie, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I like them, I think they're good films and everything, but I mean, you know me, Andrew, I'm more of a Kung Fu Panda fan than I'm mm-hmm. a How to Train Your Dragon fan, but obviously reasons you know why you love dumplings that's why i do yeah the fact that a lot of people have been saying this and you know that way when you hear that you go oh it's just people being very hyperbolic they're saying oh it's bad because of that but then you actually watch the film and you go huh this actually is very not very similar but there are definitely similarities but you know what see without any further ado will we just set sail and try and find our i was going to say white whale but more of a red whale at this point Yeah, we're all full of red bluster today. As we get the poop deck swabbed, we will be right back after these messages. It's the second poop deck joke you made. I I can't, I'm not a sailor, okay? For legal reasons, I am not a sailor. I don't like the cut of your jib today. Promote that man. Welcome to Shatsunami, a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests. Previously on Shatsunami, we've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises. Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our sub-series, Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. Join me, Slade, and my two co-hosts, Joey and Tim, over at the Video Game Club, where once every two weeks, we review a video game. Not too dissimilar to a book club. Podcast. You you can... You can find us at the Video Game Club on all good podcast uh, providers and some sketchy ones as well. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low quality, one-track audio waves. (laughs) 
but with Zencaster, you can kiss those chairs goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So, Andrew, seeing as you, of course, were the one who proposed this topic today, I am going to give you the illustrious job of telling the lovely listeners at home, what the heck is the Sea Beast? Yeah, no problem at all. So the Sea Beast is a 2022 Netflix animated movie directed by Chris Williams, who actually comes from, uh, or actually grew up very near to where I, I live just now. So that was kind of a fun little fact to learn about. And the film is centered around a society where giant sea beasts exist and supposedly terrorize the seas. And so it is the job of the hunters who have been sponsored by the royal family of a particular fictional country to hunt them down and remove the threat of them from the seas. What we end up seeing throughout the movie through the kind of eyes of a little girl whose parents were killed by a sea beast as hunters and one of our chief protagonists, Jacob, who is a hunter voiced by Carl Urban, is that the sea beasts may not be what we think they are and that the story that they've been told all these years may not be correct. And if listeners at home, you're hearing this and being like, pretty sure I saw three movies that kind of delved into that topic already, you are correct because that is pretty much the plot of How to Train Your Dragon. This film, other than the set piece, is slightly different. That we're kind of in more of a piratey, renaissance type setting. But it is very much, it seems like Pirates of the Caribbean meets How to Train Your Dragon in like how the film is told and its setting. It's not really covering much new ground, but I will say that, and we'll get into this later, that the animation is very interesting. Much like when High Train Dragon came out initially, where it was so unique and interesting and beautiful, this film is gorgeous. I'd happily praise its animation. And it actually, fun fact about it is that it is the most successful Netflix animated film, with supposedly they've said that 165 million hours have been viewed within the first five months of release. And the film has received quite a few nominations, including a nomination for Best Animated Feature at the upcoming Oscars, which will have passed by the time that this film came out. So we'll see if Sea Beast won. I doubt it, to be honest, but I'll happily uh, eat my words if it does indeed win. I thought you were going to say eat your pirate cap. Yeah, I will eat my pirate cap and hoist my opinions up for all to mock. I mean, that's why I wear a nacho hat in case I do have to eat my hat. This is 4D chess, you know. Mm, definitely. <laughs> really getting ahead of the curve. It doesn't quite help when the seagulls come down onto it, though. To be fair, I've been talking with the panda lawyer. He has also been saying that I should really stop doing that because it's just like a legal nightmare of me getting attacked by seagulls day in day out but you know what I'm stubborn <laughs> <laughs> That's the hell I will die on, damn it. But going back to a point that you were saying there, I 100% agree. The animation is so good in this film. I have to admit, I was getting Bioshock vibes at one point at the very beginning, where the film opens and we see one of the characters as a younger version of themselves, and they've been not marooned, that's the wrong word, but you know, they're hanging on to a piece of woods in the middle of the ocean. The ocean physics, like, see the water physics in this? I thought it was incredible. That was my initial reaction when we first put the film on earlier this week was just how beautiful the water animation was. There's a ship on fire at the very start and just like the animation of the wood on fire was just really, really, really good. I was very impressed by that. Although I have to admit, I was tempted to text you the lyrics to you know how Tarzan begins. <laughs> Two worlds, one family. Oh, I, I was so tempted, but I thought, no, Sasu, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Unlike this film, the main character does not get adopted by a ragtag group of friendly gorillas. The intro is very strong, and I would argue as well, and maybe this is a cool take for this film, the intro in the first half of this film is relatively strong, but then the second half, and again, I get this is a film made for kids and families and 
things, but would you say the first half of this film is where the strengths of the film lie? I would agree with that, and I actually hadn't thought of it that way, but one of the big issues I have with it is its pacing, and I think what it suffers from is partway through, its pacing suffers much more. So I was very into the movie in the first half. It's quite predictable. I turned to my partner and said to her, like, I bet you these CBs aren't what we're led to believe. They're probably not bad. And she was like, yeah, no, it, it does seem like it's leading that way. And yeah, that, that's kind of how it happened. And so spoilers for this movie, by the way, if we've not said it already, but there's a point in the film where the little girl character, Maisie, who will talk a little bit more depth in a second she frees the sea beast who's captured because you can argue it seems probably like she sees that it's in distress and she has a moment of trying to help it but also she sees that it's going to pull the ship down and the crewmates are going to get killed and she wants to help them so it's hard to say what exactly is her motivation completely there but she frees the beast and then ends up in the water and the captain of the ship who's determined to kill this sea beast is about to kill her and then the sea beast essentially rescues her and our other character jacob and from that point onward, it's just really slow going. I and my partner kind of lost interest a little bit. Like we stopped paying att- as much attention at that point. And there were several times I had to be like, what happened here? I wasn't really paying attention. So yeah, no, it it suffers from that that point on, I'd say. No, I was exactly the same. Like it's funny you say that, that you had to rewind it because I had to as well. I remember looking at other things, looking at my phone at that moment. And then I went back to it and I'm like, wait, why are they on the back of the red bluster? why are they doing this? I'm like, oh, right, it's because of this. Oh, why are they getting shot by cannons? Oh, yeah, it's because of that. And again, no hatred towards the actors or anyone like that, but I did not like Maisie's character in this film. And again, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm an old man. I say that in my 30s. I'm an old man, you know, and obviously that is not the character that's going to resonate with me personally. But I just found as if she was just so annoying. She came in of nowhere and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah by the way I found this super secret thing that nobody knew about as soon as you get to that moment because there are some really good moments with Captain Crow and is it Jacob the main character or one of sorry I do think they are the strongest aspects of the movie that the the kind of relationship between Crow and Jacob is one of the better points and it needs the Maisie character I think particularly for the the audience it's targeting I don't know she might not necessarily be an audience insert but she does seem a little bit that way. She's often there to like monologue and provide context. Like there's a really cliche scene, which I kind of rolled my eyes at a little bit of her reading the bedtime story to all the other kids as a way of like exposition. She's like, she's the exposition dump character, essentially, is what I was looking for. I was like, oh, we don't need this exposition dump character. And the whole kind of thing of like gives the exposition dump and she's like, and now I'm on my way to cause mischief kind of thing. Oh, okay, you're that person. It's not an issue necessarily with her as a character itself it's just it's just the same as what we've seen like i've seen so many characters that are exactly like her in children's movies that just it isn't interesting and it doesn't really seem grounded i know this is like a fantastical film you always feel it silly saying things like that but the cat you still should still expect characters to feel like real people she didn't feel like a real person i can argue that the other characters did that i felt the majority of the time that the the rest of the characters in this movie felt like grounded people but Maisie felt isolated from that didn't work no that is a fair point though she definitely just barrels her way into the story do you know what it almost feels like and this is probably going to be the weirdest thing or one of sorry the weirdest things i'll ever say in this podcast it feels like a fan fiction version of moby dick if the author put themselves into the moby dick story to like fix all the wrongs and the morals and everything because let's face it this film very much takes from Moby Dick. I mean, there are a couple of loose references and everything, but, you know, obviously the most obvious one is the fact that Captain Crow is obsessed with catching the Red Bluster. That is his white whale, as it were, because I know I joked earlier that it's not our white whale, it's a Red Bluster, but it is that obsession that drives him. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of really interesting tidbits and things. You know, they build up this world and you want to know more you know you want to know more about the different hunter 
colours and everything and the different associations that go on. Because there's one particular moment that I was kind of rethinking while we were talking about that, that at the very beginning they're chasing the Red Bluster and then all of a sudden they come across another hunter ship that's getting attacked by some weird squid monster thing. It's like an armoured squid thing. It's very interesting. I quite liked it. I will say that, that most of the designs are really well done for the monsters. Like, I will come back to that in a second. But Mm -hmm. yeah, they go back and they rescue them, but there's never really any interactions other than maybe between again between captain crow and jacob it feels as if every single interaction and this might sound weird but every single interaction is put in the film to advance the plot like there's never any moment where they kind of stop and rest and talk to one another and they kind of establish relationships or anything uh i don't know about that i think there's a couple like the whole kind of conversation that jacob and crow have about jacob succeeding him on the ship i feel like that was like a relationship building like it wasn't necessary to advance the plot it was just to kind of build upon their relationship and the characters there yeah but that's what i mean it's like that's the only real time we get that but the rest of it seems to be as you were saying about Maisie. Maisie seems to be the exposition machine you know she says oh i've got this book about monsters and oh did you know monsters were cool and she starts doing that really annoying thing which is really annoying in films recently and tv shows by extension where a character just sits down and says you're a famous person number one you've done x y and z and you're like i know we've got to establish this character but can we do it in a way that isn't pointing and reading yeah. a wikipedia article it really irks me when they do that and again i know it's a children's film and all that i'm not expecting them to no no that's not fair either because you know dreamworks pixar and dare i say illumination at times they've done or not similar things but they've done similar expositions scenes that are handled far better than Mm. some of the ones here I'm not saying all the exposition scenes do fall flat but there are a fair few that it just it's all over the place and going back to your point about the pacing I do agree I feel as if at least for the first half up until they get to the port again and everything and they're gearing up to go after the Red Bluster I think that's a solid movie and again the animation's great the characters are fairly entertaining but then as soon as we have the whole Jacob and Maisie getting kidnapped by the Red Bluster, that's it. That's where it falls down for me personally. And what I don't like, and this is where I can understand why people are making the comparisons, not even the fact that obviously it's a, oh, monsters are actually good, they're not bad thing, but obviously they make the comparisons between that and how to train your dragon. But something that I noticed was the design of the creature. They try to make it look fierce but not fierce enough that when they have a gentle moment they can tweak the design slightly so it looks like a lot more of a gentle creature exactly what they do with toothless yeah i was gonna say the beast looks just like toothless like it's the slick design the kind of the way the head is shaped is so much like how they design toothless and they do this in high Training dragon as well because they before you see the night fury you see all these other dragons which especially like the um the one that sets itself on fire and it's like gigantic i can't its name now it looks like a scary dragon and so i get like when you see the armored sea beast that you're getting that same kind of thing of like this is what sea beasts look like they have these weapons at their disposal but then you don't really understand what the red blusters deal is because it doesn't really have any of that kind of stuff it isn't particularly armored it doesn't seem to have like tentacles like the other one does it just seems to kind of have its big mouth but like that doesn't really seem any different from the other ones so yeah it just seems so copycat for toothless which was an odd choice i guess as you say it was to try and distinguish so you can have what could be yeah like an empathetical kind of creature that seems kind of kind really it does suffer from that and the scene you were talking about before where they come back to the port and Maisie kind of introduce herself that is actually that exact scene where Maisie kind of pops up is that clip was what Netflix used on Netflix as like a preview reel of the film and that is what kind of put me off of watching the film initially and it wasn't until I saw that I had this Oscar buzz around it I was like all right I'll check this out I'd like to sort of have like an opinion on more than a couple of the films that are in the Oscar and so we 
we ended up watching that. The film is better than that scene lets on, but that scene is pretty painful. And I do think that it suffers from that. It suffers from the fact that it seems like it's trying to be How to Train a Dragon. It's definitely the turning point, that scene. I feel as if that is definitely the scene that probably divides the film from being this, I was about to say rootin' tootin' and I've got no idea why, just this rootin' tootin' adventure on the high seas, yar matey, etc. And yeah, can you tell I failed pirate school? You're next to clown school, of course. But yeah, I thought, okay, this is pretty solid. You know, we've got beautiful animation. We've got a solid crew on the inevitable, which I have to say, I love the design of the ship. Yeah, I do as well. I have to say like that was something that sort of stood out to me as well. I thought it was a very clever design. And you were talking earlier about this like ship that they kind of encounter that's under attack that they help out. They reference for a couple of times like the code in the movie. And as you say, like it would have been nice to kind of see some other pirate captains kind of interacting with Crow. That it was like instead we got the Admiral from the King and Queen interacting a little bit with him. But like we didn't get to see really any of the other hunter ships that we'd hear about the Monarch, which was Maisie's parent ship that went down. You're completely right. There is no interaction between the crew of the Inevitable and other hunters. And don't get me wrong, the Inevitable is like built up as this very legendary crew. The whole town praises them as heroes and everything. And they're like, oh, look, it's the Inevitable. It's Captain Crow and everything. But the hunters clearly make it known that they know who they are, you know, and things. So it wouldn't be too far-fetched for them to have interactions. But what I'm laughing at is the fact that the vet and again, going on to spoiler territory here for the very end, but there's a scene at the end, of course, where Maisie exposes that, oh no, it turns out humans were the bad guys all along and the monsters are just defending themselves. And I think it's Jacob that basically declares monster hunting's over. And it reminds me of that scene out of South Park and this is something you and I were talking about. It's that scene out of South Park where it's just, it's all the hunters in the crown just saying like, oh my god, they took our jobs. You know, like he just said, oh yeah, you can no longer hunt anymore. And obviously you know why from a viewer perspective. You know why? Because of the conspiracy for whatever reason, which comes out. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump into that because that is something that is really weird that she discovers that this has all been a big thing that the crown did hundreds of years ago or however long ago to turn humans against the sea beasts for their gain, I guess, maybe just to kind of control the high seas maybe, but like they don't ever actually elaborate on like, she like discovers in a book, she's like, it was them. And then like close to the book and runs and we're like, okay, I guess we'll reveal later like what she found. They don't, we don't, we don't find out what actually happened from the royal family that managed to do this. And there is a sequel coming out. I don't know if you're aware of this. There is a sequel coming out for this movie and maybe they will tie up that loose end. And there is a lot of loose ends in this movie that is not tied up. So I'm hoping it's covered in the sequel, but it shouldn't really, they shouldn't really pull that thread if they're not going to follow through with it in this movie because it doesn't really make sense but yeah no they set up that there's an explanation for why the beasts were being hunted and then we don't get it it seems very strange and like at the end crow throws down his sword and kind of like a i'm no longer gonna hunt the sea beasts kind of thing but we don't really know like what his position was at that point as well it's a difficult one because i'm very much of the opinion that not over explaining yourself is better in shows and movies you can let the audience kind of make their own conclusions you can trust the audience intelligence but there are times in films where i feel like you haven't properly explained yourself and you haven't tied up a particular loose end that should have been tied up so i think it is a difficult one to say when it's okay and when it's not but i do not feel like this film appropriately concluded storylines that it started i mean it's a certified steam ham moment where they say can i get an explanation for this no no you can't and you're completely right there is definitely that show don't tell kind of storytelling and especially for kids films there's a fine line between trying to make something that is understandable for all ages and everything but making sure that kids understand it and everything and don't get me wrong I think the kids would understand this film but yeah at the same time they never really go into great detail about it. Maisie has this 
huge impassioned speech where she's like, oh, my family died on the monarch and I'm allowed to say this. I have every right to blah, blah, blah. Which I have to say, she's got one hell of a speaking voice because the way she's yelling all of that, I wouldn't be able to hear that if I was like hundreds of miles away at the bottom. You know, when she's like yelling, saying, I have every right, the king and queen. But then, you know, you think back to the crowd who are below the red bluster and everything that all they hear probably is, and they're like, what? Speak up, what? The crown is really bad, guys. You need to like stop hunting the sea beasts. I, I know I can suspend this movie for that, you know, I'm being facetious there, but there's a lot of moments that just come out of absolute nowhere, like especially when Captain Crow finds a witch doctor or something. Oh my god. The witch that... doctor, can I just like point this out before you yes. point it? Go I on. actually texted you while I was watching that and basically, long story short, he makes a deal with this witch daughter, whatever person, and she gives him this weapon to bring down the red bluster. She makes a big thing and says, oh, you're going to lose everything, and, you know, spoilers, he really doesn't. That's a whole other rant, but I remember watching where he fires the weapon, and this thing, this is, I thought this was a harpoon, this thing is a bloody missile, and I was texting you, Andrew, at the time, I was like, did this witch doctor give him a bloody intercontinental ballistic missile or something? I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, but sorry, what were your thoughts, Andrew? <laughs> In fairness, I stepped out from the lounge to go get some food when they went to see the witch doctor. So I did miss that scene. I asked my partner to like recap me. So I got a little bit of a recap of what happened. But my understanding was that the crew were like, oh, you can't go to the witch doctor. Oh, there's going to the witch doctor, not the witch doctor. You'll make a deal that you'll immediately regret. The price is too great. The price is too great. They kept saying that. Then Dr. Hammond comes in and is like, no spend expired. But we don't actually see, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, we don't actually see what this severe price was for getting this, as you say, intercontinental ballistic missile because he fires it, it works, and then we don't hear about it again. So is that coming back in the sequel? Is that going to be like a, an important thing that they've set up for the sequel? Or did they just get lazy and forget about that storyline? Because I don't think it was necessary. I feel like they could have just fired a harpoon at it, a regular ass harpoon, and that they would have had, because they're big hunters and they, were, they probably would have gotten this special weapon for it. They didn't need this entire spin-off arc where they go to this taboo place to get the bad weapon it seems like it wasn't necessary to the film and the, at this point the pacing was already suffering so I think if they just removed that entire section it would have helped to be honest and again I know I keep going back to say the film goes bad by the beginning of the second half but the fact is after Maisie gets on the ship everything becomes very much paint by numbers I feel you've got the understanding of the monster. You've got the sidekick that's meant to be a cute plushy toy eventually because, you know, you have the blue monster. You've got mm -hmm. the, oh, Jacob, who is clearly like a competent sailor and monster hunter and everything oh he's stepping over the eggs and after that they were pretty cool or not cool but cute those seal creature things mm -hmm. they made a reference to alien that in that scene or if you oh that. yeah yeah the bursting out your chest cavity yeah see I liked that up until Maisie was like that's oddly specific and it's like shut up Maisie shut up <laughs> it's like don't ruin this for me I'm 30 years old, I know what alien is. Me getting angry at a child, name a more iconic duo. <laughs> but yeah, then of course you have to have the good guy turning bad and they go see, I know I called them a witch doctor, but I think according to Wikipedia, it's an elderly merchant. <laughs> but that's what it feels like, the way they have this mysticism around them and they're like, oh, look at this harpoon. Because first of all, is this a harpoon for the Red Bluster or is it just a general harpoon? Is it going to kill? Well, obviously it doesn't kill, which makes me think, well, poison that clearly fails, or it's going to turn them into a llama, who knows at this point. And then you've just got everything that's just by the numbers. The monster does something monstrous, and, you know, Jacob goes, oh no, you can't hurt Maisie, even though he accidentally hurts her, and you just know what's going to happen. And again, I'm not expecting, I don't know, usual suspects levels of twists and turns, you know, but I mean, at the same time it's just it's very by the numbers yeah it, do, it does seem like it's going through the uh, the motion of the ocean at that point like it's it does suffer as you've said it is it is very paint by the numbers it is very obvious how the film concludes that they capture the beast 
They take it alive back to the king and queen. Of course, it then is freed by our main characters plus the best mate. And then the beast causes a bit of havoc and then is stopped by Maisie from killing Crow. And then we have like the whole scene where Maisie's like, they're actually not bad at all, they is. The king and queen's where is all the bad people are. Revolt, everyone. Oh, sorry, can I just interject for a second and say that see these pirate accents other than the Captain Crow and a couple other the crew, I feel as if Maisie especially and maybe by extension Carl Urban they did sound like they were trying obviously to put on the accent but it sounded like posh people trying to put on a pirate accent. Yar e mateys. I think you mean yar e matey. I was listening to it thinking is this how they think pirates talk? Uh, Again you know it wasn't the worst thing I've ever heard but I thought. It did feel like the least natural accent that I've ever heard. Yeah I was kind of hoping that Maisie like the actress stuck to her own accent you know rather than putting on this oh hi well not Scottish sorry oh hi the new oh hi the new <laughs> do you ken what I mean oh like? lassie I know I'm doing hunting some sea beasts now I just want to see Mrs. Doubtfire on the pirate ship <laughs> it was a drive by harpooning in the air <laughs> help is on the way Red Luster help is on the way oh Netflix phone us up we've got a thousand of these ideas <laughs> Yeah, the accent. Again, you could probably maybe argue that, oh, that's part of her character, that she's pretending to be like this pirate and everything, but she's, I know it's hunters, not pirates, but she's like pretending to be part of this world that she's not, but... It sounded like she was playing D&D. It sounded like she was <laughs> putting out a D&D voice. <laughs> It was it was so weird. I was like, oh, we're watching Critical Role now, are we? You're completely right. That's exactly what it sounded like. She was putting her D&D character in to be like, and I save all the monsters. Which, can I just say, speaking of monsters, you were talking earlier about how this monster has nothing, you know, really iconic about it, yet somehow it's the most feared and everything. Also, can I just say as well, excuse my language here, but how the bloody hell can they not find this creature that is massive and bright red because there's a particular quote i'm gonna bring this up a particular quote that captain crow says is like for 30 years i've been searching and i'm like how how can you miss this thing this thing doesn't even dive deep into the water at times except that one scene where he does the you know the homer backing into a hedge thing where it like gets under the water and it looks at them and then it just like backs slowly into the bottom mm-hmm. yeah how they can catch it before i don't know obviously you know there would be a film but so going off on that point, there's a particular scene where the red bluster fights this terrifying crab creature. Oh, it is horrifying when it like has, it? when it yeah. has Jacob like near its mouth and there's little like claw pincery kind of like oh, teeth thingies are yeah. like clawing at him. Ah, oh, I got like complete like shivers up my spine there. That's what I was thinking though. I was like, where's the king and queen's decree to take that thing down? Well, that's that's another point I was gonna make because like, does that count as a sea beast? Is that something different? Because like, clearly that isn't the nice, gentle mind that the red bluster has which of these beasts are the kind beasts and which of them are horrible crab monsters because <laughs> like that walrus one that like chases them it looks kind of like oh it's after them but then like it backs off when you realize that they actually still had one of its babies and when they returned that it was like okay laters and then the red bluster it is kind to them and helps them out and that kind of thing but then you have like the crab beast and it's like are you sentient are you i mean of course it's sentient but like do you have that kind of intelligence and like compassion that these other creatures seem to have or are you you just like a brainless monster? I think the real question is, and it's going back to our discussion on you know how we were talking about how they don't really clarify the whole oh, the king and queen had this conspiracy to hunt down all the monsters. I'm sorry, if I saw that crab creature, I would be in the king and queen side. I, I would be like, screw the red bluster. Have you seen this crab creature? They keep saying this thing that, oh, the sea beast used to come on land and everything. And, you know, it's very much Attack on Titan. <laughs> it's got like thousands of years those sea beasts came on our lands and then you know the hunters came along which I don't quite get how that works because they're all very seafaring people or did they just 
discharge them away from the land. Like, again, you're completely right. How are they going to stop a crab creature? I don't think being nice to that crab creature is going to stop it. Yeah, that crab creature was, like, armoured as well. Like, he managed to throw a harpoon into its joint. It was, like, a leg joint that, like, stopped it from moving very easily. So it has, like, little weak points. If you're fighting that on the land, you're screwed. The Red Blaster doesn't even kill it. It, like, chucks it really far. Yeah, but even the Red Blaster has issues taking it down. So then that makes me think, is this, like, the endgame villain here? You know, because the Red Bluster, for all its, ironically enough, all its bluster, it's not the worst creature out there. So why is this one, other than the fact it's massive and it tears through clearly the British-inspired, or maybe Spanish, I don't know, but you know, the Navy ship that they bring out, and then they make a big thing saying, Arr, it's too low, and everything, and that's never going to take down the Red Bluster, and surprise, surprise. But one thing, actually, I want to point out in that scene where the Red Bluster takes down that ship is how brutal it is. Oh my god. God, it just breaks through. It's like, you know the last scene in the third Pirates part of the, the Caribbean? Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was like. Going down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. You're right. Oh, that was brutal. Because all of those people probably died. Oh, there were so many deaths in this, definitely, like, for sure. Yeah, that, that Red Bluster definitely killed a bunch of people. So the Red Bluster has a body count. Yeah, it's the good guy. Mm-hmm. A bit like Spider-Man, but yeah, that's another discussion. <laughs> I want to bring up, this is just a brief thing that like it, it bothered me when I was watching it, was they were inside the Red Bluster at one point. They were like climbed up through its mouth up to its nose and then they looked out through its nostrils into the water like it was a window of like a ship. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Because my understanding with creatures like that is they can close their nostrils, I guess, or like a layer, like a porous kind of like layer or non-porous layer, I guess, that prevents the water from going directly into the nose, into them. But I'm pretty sure it's not like a window. It doesn't seem like there was anything there like stopping them. Like they could just go through out the nostril up to their head. In which case, water should be going in there and they should not be able to stand there and look out into the ocean. While you were talking, I actually googled do fish have nostrils? Because <laughs> it's not something I really thought of until this episode I'm like hey, do they have apparently most fish fun fact most fish have four nostrils yeah I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen I've seen fish nostrils and like if you like, look at like a shark say like, oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's uh-huh. got the nostrils there I don't know what sea beasts would be classified as if they're mammals or reptiles or fish the red buster does come on land and everything and it kind of crawls with its like fins and everything it's almost, amph- it's almost like an amphibian at times yeah going back to my point they do make the point of oh they came on land and they destroyed our cities and everything and how like some of them I can understand like the horrific crab creature I can understand but what about the tentacle dinosaur one did that climb on land or did it just throw boats at them? is this an attack on titan situation if they come close enough to the shore the tentacle guy could just like grab people from the shore and the whole thing about grabbing ladies from their veggie patches like she kept saying that was really annoying yeah, yeah. I actually enjoyed watching this movie for the most part it doesn't seem like it from our discussion but I did actually enjoy the movie one thing I really liked was the music as well I thought that the sea shanties they had the score from the movie was very good it gave very much John Powell who did the score for How to Train a Dragon and so um, my partner actually ended up looking up just to double check and it's not it's Mark Mancina who composed the film score that was really good I like the kind of use of bagpipes and the use of I think some like violin and flute kind of music going on there it was really interesting no I completely agree with that. When they brought out the bagpipe guy, you know, got a bit... Steary-eyed. <laughs> like, yeah, a bit misty-eyed, being like, oh, there's my national pride kicking in. <laughs> you know, like, I, I thought that was cool when, you know, they had the sea shanties and everything. Do you know, I was half expecting, I'm glad they didn't, but I was half expecting a remix or a rendition of, like, Wellerman or something like that, but thankfully they didn't. You know, they did all their own things, but actually, funny enough, speaking of that particular composer he has actually composed quite a few interesting ones like he did some stuff on ironically enough tarzan as well which yeah I saw that. same beginning yeah and then brother bear and moana mm-hmm. you know so he's well suited for it can i just point out one kind of funny thing and this is something that you and i were talking about before but the fact that there's not a lot 
lot of trivia on this film. This is quite weird because usually, you know, at the Chatsunami Studios, we are professionals, of course, but we usually look up the trivia and, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff. But for this film, it was very lacklustre, I have to say. You know, we've got the stuff about the composer, the fact a sequel's in development, the fact that, according to IMDb as well, I was looking this up and they were saying how the navigational commands and things are relatively realistic for a film like this about seafaring and sea travel and I thought that was cool. There was a couple of things they shouted out which I said like a sea terms and I was like that has to be made up. There's no way that's a real thing but like if you're saying that they've been praised for the seafaring terms then maybe, maybe it was correct. I can't remember what they said now but I was like that's not a thing. <laughs> All we'll say is 242 people out of 249 found that fact interesting, so that's how democracy works. Yeah, exactly. I can't disagree with the masses then. So as I I was saying, yeah, this is very sparse in terms of the trivia and I decided I was looking for sources. I was like, there must be something more. And I'm not going to name names, you know, I'm not going to put anyone in blast here, but there was a particular website that I looked up and they put top 30 facts about the sea beast. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be really in-depth. So, number one, the Sea Beast is a 2022 computer animated adventure film. Yep, that, that, that is a fact. It's what it says in the tin. That is indeed a fact. And I mean, it talks about the very basic facts, like it stars Carl Urban, Saracen Joe Hatter, Jared Harris, Marianne Jean-Baptiste. You know, it talks about all these actors and actresses. This is my favourite one, right? Number six. Number six. The film began a limited theatre release on June 24th, 2022. Number seven. Oh my god. Before debuting on Netflix on July 8th. Number eight. It received what? critical no. acclaim for no. that's exactly what it says. Oh, that's not a fact. Just make them one thing. You don't need them to be two separate facts. Do you know what I think? I think whoever wrote this, they put the article through Microsoft Word and then they did the, you know, when you highlight and put the bullet points, but said you put <laughs> numbered points. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what they've done. They've just like gone through their write-up and just put them in as facts. It's awful. Like, it's so lazy. My partner was interested after we finished watching the movie, like what the consensus was on this. And I asked me like if I'd heard anything from my usual kind of people I read and listen to reviews from. And I was like, no, I've literally heard nothing about this. And so she looked into like an IGN review online and it said what we were kind of thinking about that it struggled with pacing, that there was issues with a lot of storylines that they started and didn't tie up. But it generally was relatively praised for like how beautiful animation it was and like how lovely the music score was which I, I agree with both those things there's only merits to this movie and it's it's not a bad movie as much criticism as we've given it and pointed out the things we aren't happy about with this it is certainly a, a watchable film I wouldn't watch it again immediately but I wouldn't be opposed to watching it again down the line I do think it was a decent film well according to this um, and this is the last time I'll reference this but according to this trivia site on the review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes the film holds a 95% rating fact 17 based on 91 critics reviews number 18 with an average rating of 7.5 out of 10 that's not three facts that's one fact number 21 is based on 20 critics which if you don't have point 20 <laughs> i don't think you're, you're gonna, gonna be lost if, if you're given this point 22 without the others you're gonna be like what the fuck well, point 22 is fantastic point 22 indicating favorable reviews <laughs> Oh, wow, this is great. It's like what they've done is you're like on a Word document and you try to bullet point something. and it ends Yeah, up, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. it ends up bullet pointing like parts of the sentence that didn't mean to be bullet pointed. Yeah, that's exactly, yes. yeah. Yeah, oh, so... No, 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 no. You're completely right. I completely agree with you. Oh, it's an experience, yeah. I feel as if I got more entertainment from that than the second half of this film. That's fair. I'm, like, I'm grabbing my popcorn, like, tell me more. But just as a kind of of summary, at least for myself, I completely agree with you. I do think that this film is not the worst, I will say. It's not the worst animated film I've ever seen. I have seen far, far worse trying a lot harder, but I mean, the animation is beautiful. The score is lovely as well. There are some very strong characters here. I will say there's like a very good cast of actors and characters on display 
here. And again, I feel bad for saying this because I don't want to be like a bitter, angry guy moaning about a kid's film, but I'm gonna anyway. Yeah, there are definitely some faults. Like, if you're looking at it from a critical perspective, which I know not many people will, but if you're looking at it from that angle, it doesn't hold up to maybe something that's done better, like How to Train Your Dragon, that clearly does it far, far better than this film. On its own merits, it's not a bad film. I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's not the worst film. It's kind of like that middling, maybe just over middling, I would say. It's like more towards the good side than it is the bad, by all means. At the end of the day, I do think the kids probably will like this, and that's the main thing, you know, that's the target audience, but yeah, I suppose I would recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it with glowing reviews, you know, I wouldn't go to people and say, oh, you have to watch the Sea Beast, the Sea Beast is amazing, it's awesome. You know, it's a bit like, and you and I were talking about this a couple of days ago, about how you were watching Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and ever since that films came out, I have heard nothing but praise and recommendations to watch that film, and oh, you should definitely watch it, it's one of the best animation films of all time. I have to admit, after I heard about this film, maybe saw a couple of trailers at the time, it really just left my head, it never really left an impact on me in terms of marketing, and then I actually didn't remember it until you brought it up when you were talking about the Oscars and things like that, and if it does get an Oscar for animation, then definitely well deserved but i have a question have you watched any of the other nominations what are the other nominations <laughs> you know <laughs> um yeah actually I, I remember i think i remember them all off the top of my head turning red oh well come on <laughs> yeah a red panda film <laughs> yeah Sorry. Turning Red, there is also the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio movie, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which I've heard nothing but good things about. A co-worker of mine was praising that and saying that if that doesn't win Best Animated, then they'll go straight to LA to, to lodge a complaint, rather. There is also Puss in Boots, which I saw yesterday. Um, yeah, have you, seen, have you seen any of those? Yeah, I've only seen a handful of those, to be honest. It does seem like a strong list, though. The second last one you brought up there, I don't think I've heard of that one. I have to say. I mean, I've heard, obviously, the Pinocchio one. Mm -hmm. I've heard of obviously Piss and Boots. I've heard good things about a lot of the other films. I've not really heard much about that. Turning Reds? Again, I did a short episode where I talked about my feelings on it, and again, I don't know how well that's going to compare to the other ones. Like, I, I personally think it's a good film, but compared to some of those, and it's the same with Sea Beast as well. Like, both of those, in fact, all of those films, I would probably say, bar the, as I said, the second last one, because I'm afraid I don't know much about that, but most of those films seem to be very strong contenders, and I know that's obviously like a very lukewarm take, because, you know, it's the Oscars, of course, they're going to be great if they get nominated for it, but there's certainly some competition there. Like, what about yourself? Have you seen them all? I've not seen Marcel the Shell with shoes on, and I've not seen the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio, but I have seen Turning Red, Sea Beast, and Puss in Boots. I think of those three, Puss in Boots would probably be my pick but it's quite a tight one actually because there's been previous years where you're like oh that one's not gonna win oh like that one's probably like the shoe in kind of thing i don't think that's the case this time i think there is an argument for probably each film i wasn't really interested in the pinocchio movie so i don't really know what the kind of reception around that is but yeah no i, I think sea beast is in with a shout i think it is probably the least likely of the movies to win in my opinion yeah i would totally agree with that it's a serviceable film and I hate to say that because obviously there has been a lot of attention to this film you know with the animation with the music with everything else with obviously the people that they've brought into it mm-hmm. but at the same time I think compared to even compared to Turning Red obviously they're two different films but comparing them to a lot of the other films that seem well very much more artistic if that makes sense but mm-hmm. this one seems like straight up a action film about oh good humans versus bads you know monsters and then oh no just kidding let's swap it around so it's very basic in comparison I'm not very basic so I don't want to be a prat saying oh it's very basic but you know like it's quite basic in comparison to something like Turning Red or Pinocchio or Mm -hmm. you know the others it does seem like that and I know I'm saying that in the same breath as Puss in Boots the last wish but which is wild I was saying that to my partner yesterday when we we watched Puss in Boots that it seems so odd 
saying like, oh, what, what like to your to your coworkers, oh, what film are you going to watch uh, this weekend? It's like, oh, I'm going to watch Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. It feels like you're saying like I'm going to watch Boss Baby, but it's not like it's a ge- genuinely a, like a well received and it's a good movie. It was very good. One interesting thing about just this list of nominees is there is no Disney animated studios movie nominated. Really, Turning Red is Pixar, so it is a Disney property, but it's not a Disney animation studio property. There were a couple of Disney animation studio films that came out in the last year like there was that one was, was called like strange worlds or something oh yeah i haven't seen that personally but i heard that flopped massively i saw it when it came out on disney plus and yeah it's not very interesting to be honest similar to this similar to the sea beast it is very predictable by the numbers doesn't really do anything particularly interesting i don't know maybe i'm wrong but like i think this might be the first year without a inclusion by them in best animated feature which is very strange i'm just having a look at the films that they've actually done recently and yeah Strange World seems to be like the latest one that they've got because the one before that was Encanto and then the one before that which Encanto was great don't get me wrong but yeah the one before that was Ryan the Last Dragon then you've got the Frozen or Alfred's the Internet Moana you know it keeps going back so mm-hmm. I have to admit I haven't really heard great things Raya wasn't good either so yeah no they're really on a bit of a downward turn at the moment there was a period in the 80s when Disney were really really suffering with their content and I'm wondering if there's similar happening here it's interesting though because it's such a rich period for them for other content they've got all the Star Wars stuff happening right now they've got all the Marvel stuff happening right now but the original bread and butter of like the Disney animated studios films are pretty subpar so it's interesting if there's going to be a bit of a um, turnaround Encanto is good I was saying Encanto was very good so I would say they've had one really good film in the last I'd say four or five years really the studio is not doing great in that regard. I was going to say, all the Ralph Bricks, the internet fans are coming for you. Ralph Breaks the Internet was okay. Frozen 2 was okay. Everything else was less than okay. I don't think that they're doing great at the moment. Actually, just out of curiosity, while you were saying about like the 80s being a dark period, because that's, I think it was about 89 where the Disney Renaissance started picking up steam. Little Mermaid came out and that kind of kicked off, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got the classics like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, you know, like just everything coming out. But I'm looking at the films from the 80s oh yeah these are something yeah very divine you've got the fox and the hound which don't get me wrong you've got the tearjerker there but then you've got very long moments you've got the black cauldron that was one of the darkest times for them was the black cauldron because it flopped so hard and they got really concerned there's a there's a lot a lot of interesting kind of stuff that other folks have done dissecting that period of time in disney's career a good podcast recommendation that i would have if you're interested in more about that because i not to guide them away from here i don't think we're whoa, whoa. I, I, Oh, as, as, as qualified <laughs> to discuss that but the what a cartoon podcast does some excellent breakdowns in their movie research about what the situation was like for disney during this period so i'd recommend listening to them oh god i'm just looking at the other ones as well i mean the great mouse detective i've some people were fans but it's a bit of a cult classic one actually people that grew up with it love it like I quite liked it my brother's wife adores The Great Mouse Detective she really likes it and like similar for me like The Fox and the Hound is one I grew up with it's incredibly depressing in one scene but like I grew up with it and I have quite fond memories of it from that regard because I think the last one before the renaissance was Oliver and Company which I don't I really don't is that the one with the cats it's the cat and the the dog yeah and there was um, I'm thinking the Aristocats, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's that famous singer that sings in Oliver and Company. Who was it? Billy Joel. Billy Joel, yeah. It was, it was a Billy Joel movie. I love how for the last part of this discussion, we're just like, yeah, let's talk about Disney instead of us. Well, yeah. It's, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. I know. We are the uh, the tangent podcast. Yeah, I mean, you don't get a variety podcast by staying on topic for one niche. you got to expand. you got to expand to accumulate that audience. But yeah, going briefly back, though, to the scene beast do you have any final thoughts about this particular film would you recommend it in the same vein as these other disney films no i don't think i would give it a high recommendation if i said to someone i just watched this film they said how was it should i watch it i'll tell them it's a pretty film i don't recommend it as such i won't say that it's a bad film if you would be interested in watching it and again like what we were saying earlier like the background animation the character animation is very interesting each character is very unique in how they're designed which i quite like and the music score are the particular highlight 
highlights for me of this film. The story's okay. The story's okay. But as we pointed out, it's not an original kind of story. It's copied successful films of the past and also not quite fulfilled aspects of the story that it sets up. So I will be coming back to watch the sequel. I am interested enough in this, invested enough, that I would like to know what the sequel gives us. But I do not think this is an Oscar-worthy movie. I, I would completely agree with that. I do think that it's a film. It's a good enough film to pass the time and everything. As I said, the visuals are pretty... It almost reminds me of a like, love, death and robots <laughs> thing for kids you know because just the animation is stunning at times and then other times you're like "Mm, i don't know but you know the fact that it is like mainly a seafaring movie and everything that is the main thing they get right and i I completely agree this song looks gorgeous the soundtrack is great the incorporation of sea shanties and that camaraderie in the ship absolutely fantastic absolutely love that in particular again as i said by the second half of the film it gets the very paint by the numbers and everything you know everything I kind of said before but it's alright you know if you've got time to waste then sure check it out I know there's a lot of people who do love this film though like I don't want to take that away from them and say your opinion's wrong but genuinely if you love this film all power to you it is a good enough film I think but it'll be interesting to see what they do with the sequel whether they will expand on the monster world or is it just going to be like oh we're living in peace and harmony and then there's going to be like an evil guy that raises the monsters against humanity and then the hunters have to come back I bet you that'll be the sequel but you know they're living in peace and harmony and everything and it'll be like the king and queen or something will be working in cahoots with that shady evil elderly merchant witch doctor <laughs> the giant harpoon missiles yeah no it's alright it's an alright film you know if you're curious go check it out I mean the film's like an hour 55 so yeah if you've got that time then go check it out but once again Andrew thank you so much for joining me atop the crow's nest of this dare I say sinking ship thank you for having me yeah it was uh, it was a good discussion I think I managed to dig up some negatives for this film that I didn't realize I had by this discussion but it's, it's been a great chat and I hope the, the listeners have enjoyed our discussion before we finish up you know the drill Andrew where can these lovely listeners find your particular content oh I'm glad you asked you can find me online on social media at Green Shield 95. I'm not really doing any streaming or anything like that at the moment, but I am more frequently coming on the Chat Tsunami podcast, so you can catch new episodes each Friday when they come out. And yeah, they can find Chat Tsunami in all the usual podcast destinations. Yeah, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Perhaps a social media or a Patreon? Why, I thought you'd never ask either, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite part of the episode, of course, as you were saying, you can catch us on podpage.com forward slash Chat Tsunami for all of our previous episodes on not only animated films but of course video games films anime and general interest we do of course have a patreon page under the name chat tsunami and i would also like to thank our pandalorian patrons robotic battle toaster sonia and of course our latest one the one and only green shield 95 i don't quite know who that is though sounds like an asshole yeah probably <laughs> hey, I'm supposed to have this self-deprecating humour. Get your own thing. I'm bad enough at it. Get your own thing. <laughs> you must know I've not had an original thought in my head ever. <laughs> and on that note, before we cause <laughs> an intercontinental war, yeah, thank you again, Andrew, for joining me. And thank you to the lovely listeners at home for checking out this episode. But until then, stay safe, stay awesome. And most importantly, don't drink the seawater. Yeah, sorry. Stay hydrated in your reputable rum hole. I don't know. In your tavern. Oh, God.